When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oi, oi, I'm Jimmy Bullard and this is me old Mac of Fenners. We're back together, son. How are you? Hi, Bully. Great to be back working with you. What are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So... We haven't got any players, we haven't got a kit, we haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium. Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. This is a crowd podcast. Hey, hey, this, hey, this episode's sponsored by Harley Steve. He's an ex-tighthead, ex-army, and a Harley Davidson fan, man. No silly nicknames here, just respect for Steve. To be more like Steve, go to patreon.com, search for The Joe Marler Show, and become an official sponsor today. Joe Marler is a big-hearted man, and he's got a podcast plan. It's The Joe Marler Show. It's The Joe Marler Show. Oh, oh, oh. Ding, ding. Hello and welcome to About Boxers Part 2. Fight! Nice, Joe. No, that, that that was Tekken, wasn't it? Or Street Fighter at the end. I ruined it. I'm sorry. No, I liked it, Joe. I liked it. Listen, we had a lot of questions, didn't we, about Eddie Hearn, about the people who hang out with fighters? Yeah, we had loads. So, Joe, that's exactly where we're going to pick up the conversation with Tony Bellew. Enjoy! In your book, you touch on on the sort of people that you have around you or yeah. didn't have around you at times as well. And you actually talk about watching out for sharks. Is that something you had to learn pretty early on or did you have to get stung a couple of times before you went, shit, I can't have these people I got around stung. me? I got stung well and truly stung and I learned very, very fast. It only, I only got stung once. And when you first start off in the professional game, you're in a pond, basically. And as, as you evolve and as you get better, you soon start getting in a little bit deeper waters, but then sharks start to appear. And believe you me, mate, you've got to be ready for them sharks because they have been there a long time. They know how the water flows. They know, understand everything around them. They understand everyone and what they're after. Whereas you are just a young, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed kid who has not got a fucking clue. And I knew nothing about finances. I knew nothing about how money worked. I never knew anything so many boxers just go into the game and don't understand. So they have no comprehension of how business works, how VAT works, how pay type, paying your taxes, doing this and doing that. I've known fighters who have been paid the Monday after the fight. On the Tuesday, they're going to take every single penny out the bank. I've known fighters who took £50,000 out of the bank on the Tuesday and just took it home and buried it and then spent it week by week. One fighter said to me, I said to him, have you paid your tax? Have you done everything right and correct? And I, I, I learnt all this myself. No one helped me and told me this. I learnt these things and this sort of, I pass on to fighters who are managed now. I don't take nothing off the fighters who are managed. I'm just purely doing it to help them, stop them losing money and stop them getting ripped off. So this fighter takes £50,000 at the bank on the Tuesday. I will not name him, but I said to him, have you paid your taxes on that and all stuff like that? He went, tax, he said, well... The fella told me when Ian rings you from the HMRC, that's who you pay. You pay Ian from the HMRC. I said, who the fucking hell told you that? He said, well, the fella who was looking after me accounts told me that. I said, who's looking after your accounts? He said, no, he just said to me, when Ian calls you, that's what you do. And I just... <laughs> who the fuck's Ian? I haven't got a clue, mate. Still don't know to this day. I have no idea. 
Who's Ian? Ian from the HMRC. This fed, this kid, if someone would have called him up and went, I'm Ian from the HMRC, you need to forward your money to this thing, yo. I shit you not, he would have went and put X amount of money in. <laughs> Ian from the HMRC. And I was like, oh my Lord. We are, as fighters, all we understand is fighting. That's all we know. We train, we fight, we eat and we sleep. That's it. They're not taught anything about the business side or what you should do with your finances, your money, banking for the future, you know, pensions. You're not taught any of that. So when you get to that level, which don't get me wrong, in professional boxing, less than 1% of boxers leave the game financially secure. Less than 1%. I think it's 0.7. Boxers leave. That's nuts. Insane. So how does this, something I've always wondered, Tony, and maybe you can give us an example here. Let's say there is a bout between Joe and James Haskell. Yes. On the cards. I'm beating fuck so, out of him, mate. <laughs> I like beating it. I like it. The hype talk's starting already. That's it. Yeah, we, fuck him. We, we've got a fuck him and the mate. horse he rode in on. <laughs> <laughs> so how does the money get? Let's say that a million quid, we talk about a million quid purse for this fight. What would that mean, Tony? How would this split get? And, and how much would of that million quid would Joe actually end up with once everyone's been paid and all the tax bills have been So done? let's just say a million quid comes in and they're getting a million pound each. So Joe comes to me and Joe's got a manager. Manager takes 25% straight away. Taylor takes Fucking 25%? 25% the manager wants, some of them, yeah. Then, then the trainer wants 10%. I know managers who are trainers. So certain managers and train them, they take 35%. But clever. some of them even ask for 40 clever. I know a manager, I know a manager and trainer in this country, of a high-profile man, and he demands 40%, nothing less. And you guys would be hell. shocked to who that is. But I'm not going to say his name. He'll know fucking who he is if he listens hell. to this. Fucking hell, 40% of the... I mean, he's And he's does not take a fucking he's... punch in the face, this man. Doesn't take a fucking punch in the face. Noise the shit out of me, but... Look how wound up we're getting him. Look how wound up we're getting him. So, there's some fighters and coaches and trainers that say take 35%. That's what they can and they do take it. Then you're going to have your board, uh, Bitch Box Motor Control, take a 4%. And then you could have your sanctioning bodies take a 1% each as well, depending on how many sanctioning bodies. So, I fought for all the belts at once. I fought against Alexander Usyk and all the belts were at stake, every single belt in boxing. Uh, Unfortunately, I got fucked but I got paid very, very well. I, I agreed. We were clever. I had that. Listen, I shouldn't say I'm clever. Eddie Ian is one of the smartest men boxing's ever known and seen. I'll guarantee that. And to add to that, he's the most honest out of every promoter I've ever known. And I've studied and I've read about every promoter you can name, all the big boys. And I would put my hand on my heart and swear on my mother's life that Eddie Ian is the most honest out of them all. He's an arsehole at times and he sends me nuts. And he's done me a couple of times as well, that's what. And when I say done me, he's got me cheap. But that's his job because he's a fucking promoter. But he's honest. He is honest. He's honest about when he's going to have your pants down. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he has your pants down. He has my pants down all the time. But at least he's honest about it. He tells me he's got them down. He tells me. (laughs) So he is the only promoter in the world where you will get your worth. So when I became world champion, Eddie then worked for me. Everything comes to me and Eddie gets a percentage. And, and believe you me, it's a lot less than the percentages that I've just told you of what managers and trainers are getting. It's a lot less. So would Joe, if Joe's fighting James Haskell, is he paying the promoter out of his million quid as well? So we've Depended, already taken off. It depends. So if Joe's got a management, if Joe's got a promotional deal with someone like Eddie, then yes, Eddie can go, I want 15% from your pace. So then you'd add the 25, the 10, and the 15, that's 50%. You've lost your wages straight away. Let's not forget who you've got to pay as well because you cannot miss them, the tax man. They don't wear for no Ian one. needs he, his money. When Ian, when Ian rings you, mate, you answer the fucking phone. <laughs> I've got to pay Ian, eh? <laughs> you've got to pay Ian. <laughs> and this is what I'm saying. So from the million, you're down to half a million already. Now, if you take that half a million that everything's been taxed and you're going to pay tax after everyone's took their deductions, what happens then is... 90% of these fighters don't even know to open things like a company, a limited company. I advised one fighter, I wasn't managing him, I helped him and I said, listen, have you set up a company? Because then if you take all this money, this guy was on the fighting for $1.5 million, who I'm talking about now. He was fighting against probably one of the, at the time, he was pound for pound the best fighter in the world who he was fighting against in Madison Square, New York, in New York, Madison Square, New York. And he was going to get his purse and stick it straight into his personal account. And if he'd have done that, he'd have been taxed 45% after he's had all them deductions taken from as well. Because he was going to lose 
X amount to the promoter, X amount to the manager, X amount to the trainer. So he would have lost 50%. Then he would have lost another 40% of the 50% he had left. So he would have got a million pound and he would have came out with exactly 300,000 from a million pound payday. We didn't know. I wasn't taught that in school. I was expelled from school. I'm supposed to know. So I just try and help these fighters now reclaim some kind of money back for themselves and help themselves as well because as i said before 0.7 percent of fighters become out and even the guys who leave the game wealthy and leave the game with a few quid look at the likes of evander holyfield look at the likes of your roy jones juniors your mike tyson mike tyson i sat down for dinner once with mike tyson he told me he'd gone through 600 million dollars fuck me dead 600 million. You know what his explanation to me was? He said, 200 million I've spent. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I've wasted, I've spunk 200 million at the wall. 200 million I've given away. I've, I've, and 200 million I've had stolen from me. And, he, and, and I understood when I had dinner with him and he told me he'd give 200 million away, I didn't absorb it and take it in the way I should have. It wasn't until I made the movie Creed and I met people from HBO. And HBO were doing documentaries on Tyson when Tyson was coming out of the Catskills when he was first started off when he was 20 years of age and he was in training camp. And he said the HBO guys used to turn up at Mike's where he was, where his training base was, and he'd go running a half-five every morning. He said in some days he'd come out running, he'd see the, the, the reporters or he'd see some of the people that were part of the HBO team. Some days he'd have he'd come back from where he'd been late at night, have his Rolex watch on and he'd go like, Mike, how are you? And he'd be, they'd be like, oh, I'm okay, I'm, I'm good, and, and what's going on? Mike, Mike Tyson was always very generous and, and loving person. He's got a kind heart. And he would say, how are you doing? And then they would give him a sob story. I'm struggling with the mortgage this month, or some of them would say, Mike, your watch is unbelievable. You take off a 30,000 Rolex solid gold watch and can, you have it. You can keep that. Another fellow that he gave a Porsche to, a guy, a cameraman, he just said, you know, take, take, you have that car, you have it, you take it. Numerous times, dozens upon dozens, he would go and give a, a, a tramp in the street $10,000 in cash. Up teen times, because the, the money was nothing to him. You have to understand, he's come from nothing. So when you grasp all this money so quickly and you've got such a vast amount, it's like, it's going to keep coming in your mind. You think it's going to keep coming, but it doesn't. It runs out. Are you, you, now sh- are you 100% sure that he wasn't just telling you all this so that you would pick up the bill for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately enough, we were at a dinner do, so his dinner was oh, paid good. for. Okay, so was paid for. Good. <laughs> but, just, yeah, mate, he was... Just double-checking. He's the only man I've ever been in awe of when I've met him. They say don't meet your idols, don't they? don't meet your heroes, and I met him and I was in awe. I met him on a, I think it was a Tuesday or a Wednesday night, I can't remember, but I just won the Commonwealth title on a Saturday night with a first round knockout win. And I hadn't even put the Commonwealth title around my waist because I just didn't feel... I beat up a guy, an African guy called the Tolly Moore, and let's be totally honest, he was absolutely shite. Yeah, I mean, I hit him. In, I could, it's the only fight I ever came out in and thought, you are the shittest fighter I have ever fought in my life. It was my 12th pro fight. It should have been like <laughs> my first ever title fight, and I was expecting this fella to be. He was 10 and 0. I was 12 and 0. He was 10 and 0, and I thought, this is going to be a really good test. I come out first round, I put my hands up, and I thought, I'll just have a little look at him, see how quick he is. He threw a jab, and the jab come at me, and I just moved out the way. It just went, boom. And I thought, he's taking the piss. I thought, he can't possibly be that slow. He's just, he's having a look at me. He's trying to gauge me. He threw another one. And I watched it come. And I just moved out the way. Look, I thought, I've either turned into fucking Neo out of the Matrix, or this guy is so slow, <laughs> something's going on. Or fucking, you know, you've been frames in here filming this. Something's going on. So then I stepped back, I stepped out, and I just went bang, bang, hit him with a one, two. And I didn't even throw a quick. And his legs done a dance. And I thought, shit me so I just went it's over oh, one right hand he was out like a light and ever ever since that fight I wished I was fighting a totally more every single time I got in the ring because he was the greatest <laughs> opponent I ever faced so yeah I took the belt and I didn't really feel like I'd, I'd won the belt and I seen Mike Tyson I said and was sitting in the room I said Mike there's a couple of people around Tim Witherspoon was there a couple of others and I said can you sign me belt yeah, he said, I've told you won this on Saturday. Mike said to me, I said, yeah, I said, but I don't really feel like I should be wearing it, but would you sign it for me? I said, you don't have to if you don't want to. He said, boy, what do you mean I don't have to if I don't want to? He said, if I didn't want to, I'd just told you to leave. And I was like, uh, okay. Oh, sorry, Mr. Tyson. Sorry. sorry, Mr. Tyson, please, can you just sign, <laughs> sign it for <laughs> me if not? Okay. I'll pick up the bill as well, don't worry. <laughs> Give you a massage if you want. Please, Mike. <laughs> uh, and he, he was laughing, he was joking, and I just didn't see it coming. I was like, I was thinking, 
when they say flight or fight, I definitely was flight. I was about to fly the <laughs> fuck out of that room if he came over to me. <laughs> He's Mike Tyson, but he didn't. He was just messing. He said, son, come over, give me a hug, and he just talked to me, and all these things he explained to me. I said, Mike, before we leave at the end of the night, can you give me any advice? This bear in mind, after listening to all these stories about the money, and he said to me, son, just stay away from hoes and cocaine. <laughs> That's decent <laughs> advice for all of us, really. Just outside the ring, box just, or just otherwise. Stay away from holes and cocaine. I said, well, fortunately enough, I've got a missus with how many kids already, and uh, I've never been one for drugs, so I'm, I'm good, lad. I'm absolutely sound. And that was it, mate. <laughs> hey, Joe, I think we should, because I, I, I'm really getting into the way that Tony's taken us through what really goes on in boxing. So let's let's continue this idea of Joe having a forthcoming fight with James Haskell. I'm not entirely sure I want this fight to happen considering I'm going to get fucking peanuts at the end of it because I'm surrounded by sharks like you and Steve. Um, (laughs) Unless, of course, I'm going with Tony who's just doing it. Joe, um, I don't take a penny. I will make sure you get Tony. So, Tony, I'm I'm happy to commit to this fight. Tony's my thing. uh, Tom, you can just pretend you're about but you're you're not getting a penny. So, let's go for it. Yeah, just smile. Right, so we're going to hype this fight. How do we hype this fight, Tony? How do you hype it? Well, the first thing I would do is create an atmosphere, create tension between the two. The second thing I would do is get it on camera. Not everything's great on social media, social, but as we all know, guys, social media is not real. Everybody likes to give stick on social media. I'll do this, I'll do that, but the the thing is, it just ain't real. What's real is, is when two guys come face to face, genuinely don't like each other and want to do something about it. We've seen it time and time again. In boxing, I understood this and got this. Some fighters don't. There's been fighters far better than me who don't get it. People don't want to see two fighters come together, shake hands and say, may the best man win. That doesn't sell. It's proven it doesn't sell. No matter how good they are, it doesn't sell. When Fury fights Joshua, you really think they're going to shake hands and they're going to be best mates. It's going to be absolutely a fantastic banter between the two they're going to go at each other they're going to have to be separated numerous times and that's what people want to see as I say when two fights come together shake hands okay mate you're good I'm good yeah we're going to knock fuck out of each other that's great yeah but I don't care because I want to see you hate him people pay for hate people don't pay for love did you really hate David Hay? Yes, when I punched him in the face the first time, yes. Hate's a strong word, so you know what? No, I'm wrong there. No, I didn't hate him, but I wanted to knock fuck out of him. So that there's a episode of uh, The Gloves Are Off, you know, when you, you're the face-to-face. Who's the guy that presents that? Uh, Johnny Nelson, who does The yeah. Gloves Are Off when we're sitting yeah, at the table. It, the Johnny, yeah. off. And you've wound him up a tree. And halfway through, he's like, shit, he's got me. I, no, 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 you nearly got me. And he kept going on about, you nearly got me, but you're not got me. But the fact that he's still going on, you've got me, means you've still got him. And he's still, and he's like, oh, and I'm like, this is fucking gold. That was the rematch. The first fight, he obviously fell for a tooth and nail, everything. Like, David is, now I get on great with David these days. And I'm very grateful because without David A coming into my career when he did, there's no two ways about it. I'd still be fighting now because I couldn't have, I couldn't have commanded the money I commanded after the David A fights, if it ever happened. So I'm very grateful to David A played a pivotal role in my career at the perfect time. But for the first fight, David didn't genuinely believe, I believed that I could beat him, if that makes sense. He thought I was just taking the fight purely for the money. So I remember to this day, the night I signed the contract, I said to David, we will not speak again now. I said, we will not speak until we face. Um, I sent him a long, te- a long-winded text message. I said, understand this and the very lost long lines of the text message was understand this i will die before i'll quit but it was a long fucking message you know it was a couple of paragraphs the message i said i'm very grateful thanks for choosing me whatever it's going to be a mega fight i wish you well in camp all this just into one message and the final message was that what i said i'll fucking die before i'll quit and you know what the cheeky bastard just sent me back a fist emoji (laughs) not just and i just thought you cheeky bastard uh, There's no effort in that fist emoji, is no, there? There's mate, just no, no effort. That's the first emoji he's got as well, because he'll be using that all the time yeah, all the as time. a boxer. He's not even had to, to flick through his emoji list. No, that's all he sent me. So I knew in his mindset, I was just thinking, Bell, you've taken it just for the money. The first day of the day fight amounted to more than my whole career combined three times over. My whole career wow. combined. Just the first day of the day fight. And that's what that, what a new box office was. That's why I targeted him. The, like H's in, in Red Dwarf, where H's got the H on it. David had a pound sign on his. Just like H did in Red Dwarf. <laughs> and that's all I could see, mate. So, 
Yeah, and I knew I could beat him. I genuinely, hand on heart, I knew I would beat him. It's just styles make. They, I've got no problem in saying it. David Hayes a better fighter than me. He'll go down as a better legend than me. He's amazing at what he does. But styles make fights. It's just the way it is. And and his style was never going to beat mine. I'm someone who made you miss and could make you and make you pay at the same time. David was someone who his advantage was speed so much. But I was used to fighting guys quicker than him in the light heavyweight division. I was used to facing guys quicker than him in the cruiserweight division. Because now once David went to heavyweight, he's that bit heavier, so his his legs aren't as explosive. You know, he's just not as good as, as where he once was. And I knew, I just knew I'd beat him. And it, it fucked up with all the bookies. It cost them millions, as they told me. My own betting sponsor for the fight said to me, you've just cost us £1.5 million tonight. And I was like, absolutely fantastic. Make sure you pay me on Monday as well. I don't give a fuck. Just <laughs> give, me give, me fuck. Just give me your, my money. Your Gloves Off episode was a damn sight better than um, the Chisora White one, oh, which mate, fucking nuts. still makes me die. When That's he... what I would have you and James do. <laughs> Goes, but that's for a plastic glass and not a real glass. The opening line. Um, okay, so Johnny Nelson goes um, to Chisora. So, oh, what's going to happen in this fight then? And he was like, yeah, you know those pills that you pop, those laxative pills that you pop and you wait 20 minutes and, and they go right through you. And they were like, yeah. And he was like, that's what I'm going to do to this man. I'm going to go right through him. Everyone and White is sat there and you, it, clear, it turns to White's face and he's just completely <laughs> blank and he goes... That's a bit of a weird analogy, isn't it? And I was like, fucking hell, is this what... If Muhammad Ali if Muhammad Ali is sat here watching this episode of The Gloves Are Off and he's like, this is what heavyweight boxing sledging is all about now. Oh, God, I've got, it was it made me die. I was like, oh, this is so me and, good. Me and Della close. I love Della like a big brother. And when he says to him, uh, and Dillian goes, huh? and what, are you, what are you talking about? And, and, he's, and the old boy says to Dillian, everyone knows what I mean. Everyone knows. <laughs> everyone yeah. understands. And Johnny looks at, Johnny looks at Dillian <laughs> to say, I don't really get it as well. No, no one understands me. anything no one understands. what you've tried saying. Yeah. So oh, good. mate. But Dell is just so out there. Oh, I just, mate, he's, he's a lunatic. He really is. He's nuts. But if you push his buttons and you push his triggers, you will get a response. You poke the beast, mate, and, and he will respond. So that's just one he hasn't thought through thoroughly. I don't even. I can't even comprehend what was going through his mind when he thought. It's one of these things that in your head sounds really good, and then as, as it's come out of his mouth, he's probably thought, Oh shit! This is really bad. I've just got. I've got to back out with you. All know what I was talking about. Move on quickly to the next point, please. I was deep into the uh, Soprano series, and uh, I went to a press conference, didn't I? And I was really struggling to make weight. I'd lost sixteen pound in sixteen hours. I was going to face Nathan Cleverly. Yeah. And I turned up at the uh, the press conference in a just got out of a sweatsuit, literally walked in there, bone dry, hadn't eaten for twenty four hours, and had lost all this weight. I looked like a death, warmed up. And uh, I remember getting the press conference. I was taking the fight on 72 hours notice. And that's why I was trying to lose the weight. And I'm listening to everything that's going on. It was like a blare. Like George Groves and James DeGale were bouncing off each other, arguing because they were on the bill as well. And then it just come down to me. I said what I'd said. I said, I'm here. I'm going to win. I'm going to become this. I'm going to become that. And then Nathan Cleverley got on. and was like, oi, oi, boyo. You listen to me now, boyo. Don't worry, that's Welsh, it's not Indian, it's not fucking whatever language you think I'm talking, it's Welsh, so don't give me any stick. Oi, oi, boy, oh, I take you in car park, now I knock fuck out of you. And I thought, did I just hear that right? And when I heard that, I'll, I'll take you in the car park right now and knock fuck out of you. Straight away, for some fucked up reason, the Sopranos came into my mind and I went, you fucking rat, get outside. And I just thought... Sky Sports, we are very sorry for the language that Tony Bell was just used. <laughs> and I was like, get outside now, you fucking rat. And I, I just don't know where it came from. Too many Sopranos episodes. And I can only think Del Boy must have been watching like an episode of ER or something like that. Someone had bad bowels <laughs> and what they were giving us. <laughs> Who the fuck? Who the fuck watches ER these days? That, that mate, that hasn't been on for like 30 years. I just, that comes to me in mind. Casualty then, whatever it is. <laughs> I did, I did like ER, to be fair. What are you saying to Haskell then, Joe? Let's say we're at the weigh-in. To spice it up, we've obviously got history, mate. Honestly, some of the stuff I say, when I sat back over in my head about rugby and us trying to be hard and fake tough guys, and then you talk to, to actual tough guys like yourself and other boxers, James, he's fucking massive, like 19 stone, ripped, shredded. He'd been out for a few weeks. He'd come back, come off the bench, and this was his chance to impress the England coach and get back in the team. And we're five minutes in, 
and I've pulled his scrum out just to wind him up and he's lost it. I've ripped this scrum out off and out of nowhere he's just like, oh, and we're wrestling on the floor and I'm just having a giggle because that's... I don't know if you know, Tony, I'm not very good at rugby, but I am fucking world-class at making other people shit at it. Like, that is my go-to. So I'm dragging him down. It's all having a laugh. And then it calms down. It's it's split up a bit. And I've got a bit of water. And he's I've thrown his scrum out over the other side, so he has to walk past me to come and get it. So as he's walked past me to pick it up, he's then got to walk back. As he walked back, I was like, oh, mate, chill out, would you? And squirted him with some water. And the red mist just descended. And he turns around, he gets me in this fucking Vulcan death grip. And he's on the floor. And I'm giggling, but I can't giggle because I'm like, oh, I fucking can't breathe, James. That's enough. And we're on the floor and I'm just pissing myself. It all get, um, and the funniest bit is this giant grown man, 19 stone, hard nut, apparently. And he's gone to the ref, and the ref's about to lift out a yellow card to Simbin. And he's like, sir, he squirted me in the face. You're not allowed to do that. And he ripped off my scrum hat. Review the footage and go back. And I'm just there giggling. And he's, he's, that haunts him, that clip of, he squirted water in my face, sir. So, obviously, I would, I would then, we sat there in a press conference. I'd probably put on a Conor McGregor voice. You do nothing. You, you do, do nothing. nothing. That's really bad. That's you really do bad. nothing. You do and then nothing. I'd just lob a load of water at him to get the hype going on. I'd say something like, oh, fuck off, mate. I'm going to knock you out and then choke you and all your silver spoons, you posh twat. <laughs> <I'll> say- <laughs> It's a good start, I mean, you're getting somewhere because you can... Yeah, we got there, yeah. You're getting somewhere, you've got to insult them on a personal level, but not too yeah. much. That's yeah. all I used to you do. You can't be talking about the mums. No, 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 no. I mean, I, I have seen that done, but I, I can't be part of something like that. So, yeah, when they start doing that, I'm just like, whoa, 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 that this is going to go too far. But I'm up for everything else. Like, I mean, you know, I'm up for throwing <laughs> chairs now and again, tables, you know, as long as they don't land on the head. Tom, you're now my trainer. Shit, we're in trouble. So, Tony, I want you to tell uh, Tom what he'd have to do. I've got to make... Is there a super heavyweight division? Uh, no, mate, the super heavyweight. It's you just heavyweight, is it? Yeah, there's heavyweight. In the super, if, if it's an amateur bout, if it's an amateur bout, then there's a super heavyweight division. Anything over 91 kilos is a super heavyweight division. Anything over 91 kilos is heavyweight? Yeah, yeah. Right, okay, let, let's say that I'm actually not going to fight at heavyweight. I'm going to fight at the one below. What, okay, what's the cruiser one below? Weight. Cruiser weight. So I've got to get down to what? 14 stone 4. Which is how many kilos? 90 kilos. Right. So I've got to lose fucking hell. I've got to lose 34 <laughs> kilos. How the fuck? Jesus Christ, Am you I... want 3, 4? <laughs> no, you said 90 kilos. Oh, shit. You're right. One, two, Your maths four. isn't... You know... <laughs> yeah, 1, 2, 4. Uh, right, so I've got to lose 34 kilos. Talk to... How am I doing that? You just said losing 16 pounds in six hours for the Cleverly fight. What were you doing to do that? Sucking ice cubes. Uh, I ran 10 mile, got on the bike, done a 20 mile bike ride and then got in the sauna. Tried to box for a bit and then I got to a point where my body went into shutdown. So I'd lost the 16 pounds, 16 hours, then I got on a train to London. And on, while I was on the train from Liverpool to Houston, I, I had a sweatsuit on and I jogged up and down the train for two hours and 15 minutes. Up and down, people must have thought, what is this absolute maniac doing? He's just jogging up and down the train, dripping with sweat on the train. Uh, I got there, done the press conference. Then after the presser, uh, I got weighed and I was 13 stone. I still had seven pounds to go. And then I went into the sauna for two and a half hours. In that sauna for two and a half hours, my coach lost nine pound. Have a guess how much I lost? Half a pound. Half a pound because you had nothing to give. It's not even. It's not even a shit. Half a pound. And then I phoned Kerry Case, my nutritionist, who was my nutritionist throughout my career, and he said, "Your body, son, is now shut down. You will not lose another pound naturally." He said the only way to do it would be to drag it out in a red hot bath with salts. He said, and then that is physically dangerous because your body is not giving it up naturally now. He said, you cannot fight. Simple as that. And then the fight was off because I was just too much, mate. So it was an absolute killer. I was 14 stone plus when I got the call and it was just so, so hard. That that was really, really brutal. But weight loss, you know. Now, when, when I fought Usyk... When I, f- I fought Hay in the rematch and I beat him, in all honesty, I was retired. Uh, I fought David on uh, May the 5th and I got married on July the 
Seventh, I better fucking remember that or I'm in trouble. Uh, yeah, I got married on July the seventh, a couple of months after, and I was basically retired to be honest. I'd earned more money than than I ever thought was possible, and then I was on my honeymoon in Mykonos because my bed wouldn't leave the kids for more than four days, so we had to go somewhere short and four nights or five nights, whatever it was in Mykonos. We're out, we're on the champagne. Uh, Saturday night, I think we went from Thursday till Monday or Tuesday. We're in this bar. Fella comes over to me on my honeymoon, bear in mind. And he goes, seeing the fight tonight? Look at this, I've got it on the phone. It's that Usyk and uh, Gassiev. And I was like, yeah, mate, it's great. Yes, yeah, Alan, but I'm having a bevy. And I was drinking, you know, living it up with my wife, my new wife. I don't even with her 20 years, just getting to fucking know her, to be honest. But I've married <laughs> her now. And I was drinking in this bar. The fella comes back and mate, come on, have a look at this fight. And I was like, this is me, come on. Now's not the time. I'll have a quick look. I looked at it. And as soon as I watched it for five seconds, that was it. I was emerged in it. I was on my fucking honeymoon. My fucking missus is now fuming that I'm sitting watching a phone boxing before I knew it. The fella at the bar had it on the telly. And then it was just like, this is a, one of the reasons why you should never take your mobile phone out with you when you've been intoxicated and you're drinking heavily. Because I then got on the phone half bevied phoned at the end and went get me him I'm gonna fuck him and he was like what are you talking about I said the cheeky bastards just said my name on television so the first thing Usyk done after he's lifted all the belts and he's got them all together he's the the crown undisputed cruiserweight champion of the world the first name he says is I want Tony Bellew I couldn't understand anything he fucking said all he understood was Tony Bellew and I thought did he say my name then he said it again Tony Bellew I'm coming for you and I thought you cheeky bastard he's gonna say my name and I'm retired so I thought that's when all this, the shit started. Tony Bell, you scared? He'd never face you sick. I'm like an idiot. I phoned Ed. He said, make the fight, Ed. He said, Tone, you don't really need this fight. He said, you've made unbelievable amounts of money. You just finished your career on an all-time high. Just walk away and leave it alone. The next words I said to Eddie was, Eddie, if you don't make it, I'll make it myself. Well, the thought of Eddie losing a few quid, fucking hell, next day... I, I, that was the last thing I said to him. I ain't fucking having down. it. I ain't Mate. fucking having it. I'll sort the fucking fight out, Tony. Piss off. I'll fucking sort it out for you, you mag. That was much better than the Conor Gregor audition. So, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so then I woke up on the the Sunday and uh, my phone was called. It was Eddie. And, I, and, and I'm rough as fuck now. You know, it's about 11 o'clock in the morning and the phone ring, 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 ring. thought, how would he possibly phone me on a Sunday? Onto the phone, he went, it's all done, everything's done. They've agreed to everything, it's sorted. And I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, you said you wanted to fight too sick. He said, and you said, if I didn't make it, you'll make it yourself. I said, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. I said, what, what shit are you talking <laughs> This is the God's honest truth. exactly how it went. That's how the fight got made. And I said to him, are you messing? He said, it's happening. It's all going ahead. And I just thought, if I say no now, I'm going to look like the biggest shit house ever. So I just got fucking... I just done it. <laughs> I just done it. Don't get me wrong. I, I did think I could beat him, uh, which I found out I couldn't. But when I got back from that honeymoon meet, I got on the scales and I was seventeen four, and I had to get down to fourteen four. And I had twelve weeks. I didn't tell the missus I'd done it while we were on our honeymoon. I waited because we, when we came back from our honeymoon, we said, "I said we'll go to Portugal dead quick and take the kids away." So I took the kids away to Portugal in the villa. And when we were in the villa, I told her the night before Dave called, I was flying out to Portugal where we were staying. And I said, listen, love, uh, the fight's going to happen. And Dave called, I was going to arrive here tomorrow. And uh, they're going to stay around the corner to the other box. I'm going to start training camp for Usyk. And she just gave me this look. Because I always remember, I always, we'd talk about things, me and I, and I'd say, like, this fighter, I used to tell her about him. I'd say, he's brilliant. I sparred him as an amateur. In the amateur game, he was fantastic. I said, he's unbelievable. He's going to be the best cruiserweight in the world, probably whoever lives. I, she was like, oh, okay, what's he like? I said, he's really good. I said, I'd have a chance against him if I caught him. I said, but I've, I always told her repeatedly, for me to beat him, I'd have to take a hell of a lot of shit. And she was like, well, don't ever fight him then, love that. You know, we don't need that. So as I say, she thought it was all over. And then when I said, I'm going to face you, she was like, you said you'd have to take a lot of shit. You said it's a very hard fight. And I said, I know, love, but I watched them and studied them. And it's all changed now. You know, he's a bit slower and he's getting a bit older. He's only fucking three years younger than me. He's only a lot lighter than me. But uh, yeah, I've done it, mate. I have no regrets. 
he was an amazing fighter, the best I ever faced. And people say, well, you was winning after fucking seven rounds or in the eighth round you were still ahead on the cards. Doesn't fucking matter, mate. It's a 12-round fight. Can't be winning the game of rugby after half an hour and go, let's go, lads. We've got to get off now. We've won. <laughs> half an hour's gone. You know, let, let's just fuck off. Let's go down the booze and celebrate. I wish I could have, <laughs> but uh, I couldn't have, mate. So after seven rounds when I was absolutely exhausted and spent, he capitalised and showed me how great of a fighter he was. And that's the one time in my career... I lost, and I and I I was okay with it because I'd lost to just someone who's better than me, and I, and I could deal with that. What it was hard against Stevenson was I lost, and a part of me was like, I've been done there, and if the weight and fucking thing, there were certain scenarios, and it made me so upset and angry with myself. But with Usyk, it was like I'd done everything I possibly could. I was in the best shape ever. I got an injury, yes, but it played no part in the fight. I had a bad injury, I had a crack rib going into that fight. But it played no part in the fight. He didn't hit me with a body shot. He didn't even get out because I wouldn't have allowed him to hit me body. He, I just got beat by the better man. And you've got to be at peace sometimes and say to yourself, well, it is what it is, mate. He's better. Just accept it because, you know, you can't. There's always someone out there, as the old saying, bigger, better, stronger, whatever. I fucking met the twat. <laughs> That's my only unfortunate <laughs> thing. Always someone bigger around the corner, you know, I felt would say, wouldn't you? Or you might have gone, always someone bigger out there, son. I never found it out there on the street, but I fucking found it in the boxing ring, didn't I? Lo and behold. Time for some Patreon shout-outs. Our official sponsors today include He's a yeasty lover. It's Daniel Beers Baker. He's not dead. James Dean. The Notorious B.E.G. That's Becky Eaton Garrett. Ding! Ding! The Blacksmith, James Blackman. Becky, Rollable, Dyson. The Swindler, Joss Swindells. Four-Minute Miles Bannister. The Boundy Hunter, Alistair Boundy. And Greg, the Eagle, Edwards. To be more like Greg, Alistair, Miles, Joss, Becky, James and Daniel... Go to patreon.com, search for Joe Marler Show, and become an official sponsor today. Shrink the Box is back for a brand new season. This is the podcast where we put our favourite fictional TV characters into therapy. Join me, Ben Bailey-Smith, and our brand new psychotherapist, Namon Metaxas. Hi, Ben. Yes, this season we're going to be putting the likes of Tommy from Peaky Blinders, Cersei from Game of Thrones on the couch to learn why their behaviour creates so much drama. So make sure you press the follow button to get new episodes as soon as they land on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Shrink the Box is a Sony Music Entertainment original podcast. So what's it like? We talked about the horror of losing, Tony. What's it like when, let's say you'd won that fight, all those yeah. big fights you won, the wins over Hay, mm. that feeling when you, you get out of the ring and you go back to the dressing room and the crowd are gone, it's just you and your trainer and your family. What's that feeling like? Hose and cocaine, no? <laughs> there's no hose, there's no cocaine. <laughs> Boats and hose. Boats and hose. <laughs> There's none, you know what? I've, I've, because I've experienced the highs and the lows, so the best way of explaining it is the highs first. So, when you get finished, I had a small team five, five people, five or six at the very most in my team. That was it. Yeah, I wasn't one of them ones with a big entourage of 20, 30 men. And you see it in boxing the big entourage comes, everyone's carrying something, making the sharks look important. They're all yeah, fucking they're sharks. Fucking, Mates, they're a gang of fucking leeches, yeah. all of them. They don't do any, they don't serve any purpose, they don't do a fucking thing, but they've all got this handout and they all want a little something off the top or whatever. But I learned very fast in the pro game not to keep them away from me. So I didn't have a big mad presence in the dressing room, but after me first loss, what I did do is, well, when I didn't feel like I lost to Cleverly, I counted who was in the dressing room because when I come back to the dressing room, all the media would want to get in, speak to me, have cameras in your face, mics in your face, whatever, or then you'd go and do a post-fight press conference. Well, after my first loss, I looked in the room and there was me missus, me, me mate, me coach and me dad. So I think there was six of us in total. The next fight back, I came back after that suspected loss and I fought a guy called Danny McIntosh and I knocked him out in the fifth round. I counted the heads that were trying to get into my dressing room and that was in my dressing room. There was 49 people in and around my dressing room in a dressing room that can't hold no more than 15 people. Whoa. And there was people still trying to get in through the door. That's the best part about it. Everyone loves a winner. No one gives a fuck about a loser. 
I don't know. I, d- I don't think I'd know 49 people. I'd be all right, actually. <laughs> like, win or lose. In fact, win or lose, I don't I think I didn't know them. We were just trying to get in. I just thought <laughs> I'd count their heads just to see how many of them are here. But as, as my career went on and as I learned things, never believe all the great things they say about you when you're at your highest moment and never believe all the shittest things they say about you when you're at your lowest moment. Just always stay somewhere in the middle. And that would be the best advice I try and give to the youngsters now who are coming through all the guys in the pro game because it's just a shower of shit. I can only imagine, Joe, you've experienced an awful lot of it. And the biggest thing that I find in sport, in all sports, is that everyone turns on the TV. I think everyone on TV is a multi-millionaire. Tom, you could be a presenter on TV. And trust me, if you spend long enough being just a presenter on TV, they will think you're, you're being paid millions. I mean, I used to have lads in my team who do jokes. One of them would love winding people up. And he'd literally go like, I seen told the other day, he said, I was with him. He said, oh yeah, how is he? He said, Bosh, you know, lad. He said, I seen him do an interview on the on the phone with the radio. He said, they just gave him 40 grand for speaking on the phone, over the phone on the radio. He would go, fuck off, they never. And as you know, everyone had 10 pence on, don't do when the story gets passed on. So before you knew it, I was getting 100 grand to talk on the phone on the radio. Because my fucking mate thought it was dead funny to tell people, <laughs> you haven't seen that last fight? Got 7 million. I was on Sky Sports. Do you know how much I did get? I mean, I fought over McKenzie. I think I got 15 grand for the first one. And then I had to get them deductions out of it as well. You, you got a tenner at the end of it then? Come up with 17.99 after the VAT. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, to 15 bags I fought them for you. I was, I was absolutely skint and broke as a professional boxer, as a champ, as a British and Commonwealth champion. I never had the pot to piss into. When I won the British and Commonwealth titles, that was for 18 grand. I was the main event on Sky Sports. I actually sold £80,000 worth of tickets and I was only being paid 18 grand. I sold 80 grand worth of tickets. I had £80,000 in cash and gave it over. I've had that before when I've gone to like a local rugby club to give out medals to kids on a little tournament and then you do a little Q&A with some 9, 10, 11 year olds. And they open it up to the floor. Oh, yeah, what do you eat? Oh, how do you do training? All that. And then always one of the first and popular is... Um, what car do you drive? Do you drive like a Lamborghini or something like that? And then, and then I have to go. Oh fuck! Um, no, I've got a I've got a Golf. It's really economical. Um, it does like sixty miles to the gallon. They're like, you've got a Golf. My dad's got a better car than you. I was like, yeah, I'm sorry, but <laughs> just presume. I, I, one thing, one thing I will say, I do think the rugby guys are underpaid. Oh, there we go. There we go. Let's get Tony out here. Yeah, come on. Mate, me me middle boy, uh, me 12-year-old boy plays rugby. And he's being getting told he's really going to... I think he's so good because he's so fucking big. As you can imagine, 12 and 16, he's charging people, mate. And he's literally taking them out. Get him into golf, mate. You need to get him into golf. I know. Get him to take you around the world as... Joey hits people. And he says sorry, mate, when he when he cuts, when he runs through them. He, like one time he was running with the ball, he took this kid off his feet because the kid tried to tackle him, and like he stopped and put the ball. And said, I'm sorry, are you okay? Oh, and I was bless like, him. lad, fucking run over them. Yeah, don't yeah, say sorry, mate. Stand yeah. over him. Say you fucking yeah. stay down there, will you? Touch for that. This is the aggression I'm trying to get. But my kids just aren't from where I'm from, and I can't transcend it to them. The little one's got it in him. Uh, he's only. Uh, nine, but he's got it in him because he just gets hidings off the elder two. And keeps ah, it's a little brother thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and he's got something to prove. You know what I mean? But the other two, the elder ones, are just they're so fucking nice. I go on a football pitch. I want to fucking cause damage. Never mind the rugby field. I go on football pitch and I want to be clattered or I want to smash you one or the other. Maybe something's got to happen. Yeah, I'm like I play. I play six aside on a Monday night and I I just want to go right through boys like those laxatives. I'm like I'm fucking going right through these. (laughs) That's what I do. That's what I I hype myself up. I I actually occasionally take some laxatives just to make. Make me run around quicker, get it all done. Yeah, Tony, I'm going to need your help to clear up a few things that I've got that I'm confused as fuck about with boxing. Why the fuck are there so many belts? WBC, mm. WBO, yeah. WBA, yeah. WCW. No, that's wrestling. You oh. fucking fat twat. Um, IBF, IBF. Yes, that's the four major belts. Just named. So there's just four major belts. There's just four belts that anyone can really cares. But you get idiots walking around with an IBO one, but it's worth as much as a belt from Matalan. So don't pay any attention to someone who's bouncing around with an IBO belt claiming to be a world champion. He's a bluffer, and uh, he bought the belt from Matalan. So if they've got one of the four belts you've just named above, I would say personally the WBC is the best. The green and gold belt is the most recognisable, most distinguished belt in professional boxing, purely because when you've seen the 
the likes of Muhammad Ali lifted, Sugar Ray Leonard, Marvellous Marvin Hagler, Floyd Mayweather had won the WBC belts in all the divisions. All the names, fighters I'm naming, they're the prestigious guys. They're the guys you want to emulate, you know. I, I only dreamed of that WBC belt. That was my lifelong goal. That was my lifelong dream was just to lift that belt, become a world champion. It's, it's so tough now in boxing. It's not... So if you're a UFC fan, Joe, do you watch Yeah, occasionally. My brother-in-law loves it. He was telling me about this guy at the weekend who's this massive yeah, unit who's Ngannou, just won... Francis Ngannou, he just not Oh, my the God, the way he was describing him, I was like, he's oh, a he's a monster. He's, he's a fucking animal, but he's... So in UFC, it's a bit easier because it's one guy, one organisation, he runs everything to Dana White. He chooses the fights he wants, he, he creates the, the hype, the division, the selling things, so he does all that. In boxing, it, it's very different. There's four, obviously, but world title belts, and they've done the four belts. There used to just be one champion per division, but you can't do that because then you've got guys in, in, in divisions who don't want to face each other for other reasons or whatever have you. You've got people with other agendas, managers with agendas, promoters with agendas, so the, the world titles became different, but there was no problem to, to a certain to a certain. But it is the organisations and the bodies because they want to have mandatories, they want to get their percentage of when you fight, stuff like that. But ultimately, we all still know who the best are. That's my point in boxing. We know who the best is in each division or we know who the best two, the top two are. So sometimes belts now have been where guys will go, well, it doesn't matter if I face you for a belt or not. We Everyone knows who, who I am. I'm the best in the world. Boxing, is, is it's become very political. The belts have become... Less important. It doesn't mean they're not important. In my opinion, they are important. WBC meant everything to me, and it always will do, purely because of the iconic figures and names who have held it before me. You know, Evander Holyfield paraded my WBC Cruiserweight title all around the world, and, you know, he was amazing doing it. So it does get out of control, but as long as the best keep facing the best, that's all that matters. That's the hardest part. In UFC, the best can face the best because one man's in control. They all answer to one man. In boxing, you've got Eddie Ann over in England. Then over in America, you've got Al Heyman, Bob Adam. There's so many people with different agendas. I want the best for my fighter. If I've got Anthony Joshua and he's the best fighter in the world... Does he really want to be faced with someone like Tyson Fury who can dethrone him, take away everything? He's yeah, got? mate, you got to talk me through this as well. Why? The, what's all the fucking around? Surely all people want it's is Tyson Fury versus AJ. It's it been long enough, happen. no? It, of course, it's been long enough, and it is going to happen because public demand. Once something, once the demand is big enough, there will always be supply, and that goes for anything in life: simple drugs, alcohol, money. The hose, demand is strong hose and enough. cocaine, boats and hose. When the, where there's a demand, there's a supply. Where there's a supply, I'm telling yeah, you, hose and so cocaine. The, the, the demand for Fury and Joshua is now at an all-time high. That means it will happen. That means the gate will make more money than ever before for them. That means the the TV revenue will make the biggest, the box or everything. Makes sense, so it's going to happen. I think you'll get an announcement pretty soon, to be honest, from the outside looking in. I think it'll be a great fight. It'll be great for boxing, but it'll be even better for British boxing because British boxing has become the hotbed of the sport most most recently. And everyone has to take into consideration that's because of Anthony Joshua. And I might say this because I was a professional before AJ was and I was a professional in his time. I understood what I was making before he come along and I understood what I was making when he's come along. And believe you me, mate, he's a massive part of why boxing is, is where it is today. He's blown up every side of the commercial side of the game. He's opened the revenue doors to us massively. We made fortunes, mate, placed off, off the back of him. He's, he, he's a massive, massive part of British boxing. So, as I said, when you look at it from promoter and manager's angle, would they go, Tyson Fury's a really hard fight. He could lose it. Of course he could lose it. So, would the, the managers of him and their agenda would be, well, we don't want AJ to lose. We want to keep him winning. We want we want the fucking books to keep rolling. We don't want to stop the Navy chain. So, this is where I'm saying the agendas and other people's motives come in. We people in Anthony Joshua's team who think Tyson Fury can win. Of course he is. You don't tell lies. Just tell it how it is. I think AJ's going to win. But would they put me house on it? Absolutely fucking not, no. Because anything can happen in boxing. And you've just got to weigh it up that way. And that's how people look at it today, mate. So it's going to happen. And I just, I can't wait, mate. I, I love talking about boxing. And I love being part of it these days. It took me a while to get my head around the fact that I was still walking into the arenas when I was commentating and thinking, I'm ready to knock some fucker out in here tonight. And I was like, I've, I've got a suit on and I've got a nice pair of shoes. And You're going for Johnny Nelson, the poor fucker. Like, he's like, mate, I'm, so, so, I'm here trying to help you out with your commentary, you twat. <laughs> Johnny's been made so fortunately it wasn't Johnny, but I just wake some people up and I just think, that say something, just, just, just poke me or do something. And then, a year went by and I started chilling out a little bit and I started calming down. Now another year's passed and I'm in. I'm fully in a mode of now I'm happy where I'm at. 
I'm training again. I'm not going mad, but I'm just comfortable in myself now. I wasn't when I first retired. It was so hard because I was never someone when my career was happening. I never looked back. I never dawned upon anything. I never took. I never reflected on it. I just done it and I moved on the next day. So I just keep going and going and going. I would never look back. Do you regret that? Yeah, I do. I, I, do you wish you'd have taken a little yes. bit more time to actually yeah. enjoy it or? Do, not wallow, but it no, just take a step moment. back more when when you're in it I rather than waiting until you're out of it and then you're like, oh, fucking hell. I don't know. Because you're just in it, don't you? You get lost yeah. in it. You're spot on. I said that to AJ. I was chatting with him before the fight in Saudi and then after Saudi. And I said, just take the time to enjoy this. Please, just because it goes so fast. It just goes, hey, and just, just enjoy it. And he messaged me a couple of days later, and he said, I am. I'm just going to chill for a little bit. Crazy bastard was in the gym two days after he said that to me, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he's just a machine. But I'm very thinking out of the fighters now, said to Lawrence Coley, enjoy this moment. Embrace this moment. Enjoy being a world champion. Don't worry about the next fight yet. Don't worry. What will be, will be. Tomorrow the sun's going to rise. You ain't got no fucking saying it and the sun's going to set. Enjoy the moments while they're there. I didn't. And that's one of my regrets in my career. I really didn't. I just didn't embrace it because I was just chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing. I suppose the most I probably embraced and enjoyed was the, the morning after the world title fight, as I say, in the kitchen. When I had that difficult conversation with her of why I've got to carry on fighting now because it's purely for financial reasons. Mm. That was the most I ever reflected. I sat down, looked at the WBC belt on the kitchen top and was like, fuck me, I've done it. I've literally done it. Well, I said, we've done it to my wife. I said, love, we've done it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, I mean we. I mean, it was definitely, a, yeah, no, it was we. I didn't so, see so, you so, take any of the po- punches, though, but don't worry about it. As I said, so, under my breath, I've done it. I've fucking done it. Love, we've done it. We've done it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got one more question, Tony, and I want to know what a particular person was like. And I'm not going to say the person's name because I got faith in Joe that he's going to do a stunning impersonation of this wow. particular individual. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know what he's going to do. Hey, Tony, Tony. But I want you to do, man. I want you to be part of my film, man. I got the new. We're, we're making the Creed. We're making Creed, man. And I want. I want you to be part of part of it. You want? What you? What are you gonna say? You? Oh fuck! I've gone deep south now. I'm mean, like, what you gonna say? What you gonna say, boy? No, uh, I want uh, Adrian. I want Tony. I want you to be part of the film. What was it like to be part of Creed, mate? That, that must have been insane. Rocky Balboa, mate. That was <laughs> so, fantastic. I was just, oh god, I fucked it. Oh no. <laughs> Do you know what? Oh. Uh, meeting Sly was, was something else. The first time I met him, I met Coog, Coog, Ryan Coogler, the director, and I wouldn't have done the movie without Ryan Coogler. He came over, he convinced me I could do it. I'd never acted in my life. Uh, I'd never done anything like that. And Coog's just come over to Liverpool after me meeting a couple of guys and just said to me, I know you can do it. I just know. I said, Coog's, how do you know I could possibly do this when I've never acted before? He said, I just know. So trust me. And I said, okay, I'll put me trust in you and I'll do it. I had to get through the Clever Leader match. I won it and I wouldn't have done it if I never won that fight. I'm over in Philly. It's in uh, November. I went over and lived there from January to March. I had to live there for three months without my family or me, Jack. Uh, well, with my friend. Uh, and I stayed there doing that. But I went over... Did you got the steps at the City Hall? Of course. Of course. Of course you did, yes. Of course. Yeah, of course. What a stupid question, Tom. Where's Tom? Let him finish the story, man. He'll get to, he'll get to the steps in a minute, man. Fuck. Oh, so oh, this is bad. This is so bad. Cedric, I didn't know whether it was Cedric the Entertainer or fucking or Slice Sorry, the it's All good, right. mate. Don't worry. I'm just taking the yeah. piss. So oh, yeah. I'm in Philly in the November. Uh, sorry, the December, just to go over for two weeks before Christmas, just to, to learn the choreography for the role that we needed with me and MBJ. Let's stay in there for the screen test. Sly's coming before me. So uh, there was in the uh, in the big offices, there was like, in Philadelphia, there was all who are this day. But I, uh, whispers, uh, just, it was different. I said to one of the people, what's going on? Fucking someone arrived or something. Just like Sly Stallone's arrived. He's alive. And finally, if they get a screen test or whatever. And I was all sound, that's absolutely fantastic. I said, I'm looking forward to this. I walked it through into this area where only the cast are allowed and you can watch him doing a screen test literally from behind the camera. 
I kept taking things in, but I was like, I wasn't really absorbing it. It's like it, I was there, but it's like it wasn't really happening. When I walked into that screen test, I was like, what the fuck is going on? That is like, that's Sylvester Stallone. And I'm just watching him. He was reciting poem off his head for the screen test. And I was like, what the fuck? And I just, I was in, I was just thinking to myself, what's going on? And it passed. He was doing it for like five or six minutes of screen test. And I was standing there just thinking, what, what's going on? What's going on? When he finished the screen test, Coot comes over, puts his arm around me and says, come on, you've got to speak to Sly. And I went over and I thought, I was, at this point, I was a little bit sweating. I was a bit fucking thinking, when am he fucking Rambo? This is unbelievable. Because <laughs> I've loved Rambo since I was a kid. More violence, the better, as you know with me. But yeah. Rocky's obviously a, a pivotal movie for boxers and stuff like that. But I was a real-life boxer. I'm... For real life boxers, Rocky is the furthest thing from the truth you can fucking imagine, mate. If someone gets real life 50, boxers, think Rocky's dog shit. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm not saying that. But you know, if you if you think Rocky is a real fight, you know, if you ever seen a fight to get knocked down 15 times in a fight and carry on, then you know there's a problem. I mean, I had one idiot mate one time say to me, "I was wrapping my hands," and the fucking plant pot said. Why do you wrap your hands like that? And I said, because this is how you wrap them properly. He said, yeah, but they don't wrap them like that in the Rocky film. I never spoke to him again after that. Don't worry about that. But that was a fucking idiot, mate. So Mm. that's the context of how people day-to-day look at Rocky and how a boxer looks at Rocky. I looked at Rocky, loved Rocky for what it was. Great motivational film. He overcomes the odds. It's absolutely fantastic. Is it real life? Absolutely fucking not. So when I met, I was swear to God, he comes over and uh, Coos goes, Slide this is Tony. Tony, this slide here goes. I was about to say, What's up, Rock? And as I put my hand on Chick's hand, I went, oh. What's up, Rock? Uh, Mr. Stallone. That's what exactly I would done. Hello, Mr. Stallone. Hello, Mr. Rambo. And, <laughs> and as, I, as I'd done it, uh, he went, Whoa, call me Sly. We're friends now. He said, I'm a big fan of yours. He said, I know all our boxing. He absolutely wasn't. He never had a fucking clue who I was. I swear to God. But he was just humoring me. He knew I yeah. could have a fight. He knew I was yeah. a pro boxer. He was just human. I'm not. I'm no one's fool. I'm not stupid. I'm a bit punchy. I'm a bit thick, but I'm not stupid, mate. He didn't know. I'd me. love to have seen you call him out there and then at that time be like, yeah, "Mate, you haven't got a fucking clue. I am. I don't pull the wool over my eyes. I'm here to do a job. Would you? <laughs> let's just fucking get on with it. Stop fluffing me, will you? <laughs> see and what I, found, I found out he was really knowledgeable about boxing. He knows boxing inside out, but he also loves wrestling. He, he admires people in combat sports. If you if you ain't in in that field that's it you know see it after but he, he had loads of respect for me he helped me loads with the acting how to take pauses how to do the choreography because it was so different I was like well it was weird because my kids are always going to have something to draw back on now your fucking dad's been in a Rocky movie so I still oh now they like that. yeah now they like you not because you're a professional yeah. world champion boxer because you're actually in a Rocky you know, film mad. I thought growing up I thought my kids will, I won't be like my dad and my kids I thought my kids would be dead proud of me my kids would want to be seen with me and everything because, you know, the dad's being a world champion boxer, for fuck's sake. And my kids are like, Dad, go away. Just please leave now, Dad. And Dad, just drop me off at the corner. Don't go round the corner. And I'm like, Dad, you fucking dad's the champion of the world. What the fucking hell? Dad, dad, dad the world. you're embarrassing me. Fuck dad, off. go away, you, you plant pot. And I just, I know they want to swear they wouldn't because they know better with me. I'm not one of them fucking sit on the naughty stair. Take your phone, take your PlayStation, if both of them fail, I'll tan your ass. Simple as that. I don't care how big you are, how hard you think you are, you get a slap on the ass. Don't mean no harm, it'll do you no harm. <laughs> but uh, it's a bit harder now. Imagine but... imagine, imagine what it's like for my kids when they go to school and they've come back and they go, oh, Daddy, uh, one of my friends told me that you flicked someone in the dick at work yesterday. And I was like, <laughs> oh, God. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, at least you're a world champion boxer. I just get... Kids, Mate, my you, kids getting shit for their dad being a weirdo. You've played rugby at the highest levels. <laughs> that is something to be very proud of. Right, it's who you know, not what you know. That's very true. Tony, it has been a privilege and uh, an honour to sit and listen to you for the last hour and a half, two hours. In fact, it should have been shorter, but Steve was fucking around and ruining yeah, it for us. Steve, that's definitely I'm glad it, I'm glad it went on longer. So, Boys, it was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh, Joe, what a man. What a man. What a mighty, mighty fine man. I loved him. He was brilliant. And I know I'm biased because I seem to say I love every guest that comes on here. But he was articulate. He was funny. And I'm definitely, definitely not just saying this because if I don't say nice things about him, 
and we somehow, for some reason, meet in an alleyway somewhere in the future. And he remembers, or if he's even bothered to listen to the, to the end of this, or someone has, and he finds out and tell him that I haven't been nice. If I turn around and wasn't nice, he'd punch my fucking lights out. So I'm not just saying it because of that. He was a genuinely nice guy, and I really enjoyed talking to him. It's funny you should talk about having your lights punched out, Joe, because Tony's got a book out, and do you know what it's called? I punch people's fucking lights out for money. Yes, it is. It's out now in all good... No. <laughs> Tony Bellew's book, Joe, is called Everybody Has a Plan Until They Get Punched in the Face. Oh. If you'd like another podcast to listen to, search for Death of a Sports Star. If you're a boxing fan, go and find the episode about Sonny Liston. It is really sad, but it's definitely worth listening to. Just search for Death of a Sports Star in your podcast app. Lovely. Who's uh, who's up next on our on our show, Tom? Joe. Two reasons to be excited. Number one, we're back in the studio. We can see each other face to face. Number two, the guest is a sommelier. Oh, I've always wanted to meet someone from that country. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. Podcast Network.